The Blackfinch Project is driven by, by strong emotions. It's been equated to be a protest via art. Yeah. Do you feel that's an accurate description? No. Mm. <laughs> You're listening to Artbreaker. The black-throated finch. In your mind, are they still alive or are they extinct? Um, wow, that's a really interesting question. How do I... What does my imagination do? They are still alive. But they don't know that they're dying. That's the sound of the Australian Bird of the Year, just declared by The Guardian and BirdLife Australia. Today we're talking about one little bird with a southern population of just 800 that inspired over 1,500 pieces of artwork and thousands of popular votes to become our Bird of the Year, all against the backdrop of a failed campaign to save their habitat which now has approval to become the world's newest and largest coal mine. This is the story of the Black Finch Project. One step away now, that's Adani and its Carmichael coal mine after the company was given environmental approval for its black-throated finch management plan. That's Sky News Australia on May 30th. We've just spoken to Adani CEO Lucas Dow here at Adani headquarters. He says this management plan approval has been months in the making. That black-throated finch management plan, just for context, there's been seven different versions of this plan and it's been dragging on for months, causing utter political turmoil across the spectrum. The Australian federal election had been just 12 days earlier on May 18th. And Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has been keen to get it moving after that... And the Liberal and National Party coalition government had retained power on a pro-mining and pro-Adani platform. Now, Lucas Dow couldn't say how many finches are actually on the site, but he did insist there will be a major habitat and ecosystem set aside for the finches once the mine construction takes place. Obviously, habitat, the seeds, the water sources and the necessary breeding grounds and feed, and feed types to ensure that the bird can continue to thrive in that area. When I read the news about the finch, I wondered if... And this is such an artist's way to think. <laughs> it's completely impractical and never going to happen. But I felt like when we make these decisions about species or environments or habitat or traditional lands, I feel like it should be the job of the ultimate decision maker, the person whose shoulders it stands on, to make the journey out to that particular place. Could you imagine and just if they were standing in that land and they had to say goodbye to it or they had to tell it that it had been decided that they mattered less than this other outcome, would it change them? I don't know. I can just see them standing out there and looking at the trees and watching the flocks of finch move through. And Some people would do that quite easily, which is concerning, but I feel like other people wouldn't. Mm. But that's just... Um, Magical thinking. <laughs> yeah. That's the voice of Charlotte Watson, an artist now widely known for the Black Finch Project. I 
very loud laugh, by the way. It's great. So it's going to go. It's joyous. <laughs> it's going to peak. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. And this happy, bubbly person took on a huge task, convincing the recently returned Australian government to value the extinction of a species over economic benefit. I hate clipping, but if it's for laughter, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I did my own short po- podcast for a very short time. Oh, very good. And it would always clip. <laughs> Charlotte was a delight to speak to, and we had a lot of fun. But this conversation did get pretty heavy. So as a bit of a late warning, this episode will touch on pretty heavy topics. And if you're not feeling up to emotionally heavy content about the climate crisis and extinction... That's absolutely fine. And feel free to come back to this when you're ready. Good. All right. You've got the experience. You've done some of the 10,000 hours. Uh, Would you mind saying your name one more time there when you've had your sip of tea? Charlotte Watson. Um, I'm just going off your website here. So uh, University of Canterbury. How long have you been in Melbourne? I moved here in 2012. So seven years now. Charlotte Watson. Her work looks at the stories that inhabit the land. Where did that kind of articulation of, of interest in, in stories and place come from? I think I've always had it, but I circle around what that actually means in different ways. I think many artists do a similar thing where our work is actually all about one particular question, and we think we've ticked it off, but really we... We come back to it again and again and again, but just from different perspectives. I mean, for me, what is place, all the stories that inhabit a place, all those elements for me are questions of what is home, where is home, what makes familiarity, what does the land know that we don't know, how do we know the land, those kinds of themes, maybe. Many Australians have never seen a black-throated finch. Many have never been to the Galilee Basin, the region being open to coal extraction. But the idea of this little bird, and its tiny population, being pitted against a conglomerate, has lit up the imaginations of artists from all walks of life. I heard about the Black-Throated Finch Project via social media. This is Margaret Engels, one of those artists who heard Charlotte's call and responded. An Instagram friend had posted something on her page about it. So I tracked it to Charlotte Watson's page where there was um, some more information and I was immediately sold on it. And then I reached out to her. And, you know, for all its negativity and noise and and misinformation, I think this is the the absolute beauty of social media. It still amazes me that with just eight newsletters and a mailing list and an Instagram People had the goodwill and humility. They understood the message and they they held it closely and preciously and they passed it on to the next people in a similar manner. I think at that point people were jumping on board, but I don't think Charlotte especially, I don't think anybody knew, but especially Charlotte, just how many artworks would be created and sent. Up to this date, there's been over 1,600 pieces of art of this little bird created so far and sent to politicians. And then not just from Australia, I think overseas as well. So the Black Finch Project, or 1,000 Finches as it was called on social media, became a sensation 
I didn't come into the Blackfinch Project having any particular precedent. I was literally sitting on my lounge floor in my pajamas on a Friday night watching Gardening Australia. I checked the news and I saw that the Adani management plan had been approved and my heart just sunk. It felt like this little bird could possibly be the last bastion to stop this mine. And that had now been proved otherwise. In some ways I wasn't surprised because of the way things are here. Uh, but I did, no, I didn't go in with any master plan or have any months of planning behind this. It was really quite a split of the moment decision. Mm-hmm. And so I put a post on Instagram where I thought I was just asking my friends what they thought and if they would like to contribute something. And I had images in my head of me actually pumping out 500 and 83 finches on my own and some other people popping in one or two but um it's not quite how it went (laughs) and I posted it online and it got reposted by other people and it just went nuts what was the Instagram post that kicked this all off 31st of May dear friends today the Queensland government approved Adani's black-throated finch protected plan there are approximately 1500 left in the wild thousand of which are directly in the path of Adani's mine. What do we, as artists, do? I propose we send the Queensland Government 1,000 black finches, drawings, sculptures, anything to make known the lives of these creatures. No text, no slogans, no messages of rage. Just dead finches. I don't know how to do this. It's just an idea. I can't do it without your ideas, your help. Within the first day or two I had hundreds and hundreds of emails and I was having to turn my phone off because I was just getting so many notifications. I chose to send my finished piece to Queensland's Minister of the Environment, Leanne Enoch, as I live in Queensland and it just made sense to do so. I remember reading a statement by her once that said she supported projects in Queensland that were upheld by our rigorous environmental laws. So for me to send it to her was a visual reminder and, and an appeal to that promise that it be honoured. The image I created of the black-throated finch was of a little finch sitting in the palm of a hand. and I sourced the photo from the internet. You can see this image, the piece that Margaret sent to Minister Enoch, as the cover art of this episode. It's surrounded by some of Charlotte's work-in-progress sketches. There were so many pictures of the black-throated finch there. But in the past, I'd been involved in a project that had focused on the amphibian extinction crisis, which we're facing. And many of the frogs I had painted, I'd put into human settings to symbolise the direct connection between man as the source of the problem and ultimately the solution. So for the same reason, I painted the finch in the palm of a hand as I wanted to place the onus of survival of these endangered birds squarely on the shoulders of us humans and to emphasise our custodial responsibility to them. So to pivot from the why you did what you did to to the how, Mm. how you ran this project, (laughs) created this platform with hundreds of artists contributing to it, all coming from their own philosophies, all with their own sets of values, how you made a space that was big enough for everyone to to take part, but also how you set enough and strong enough of boundaries that kind of it worked out to be a cohesive push, to be a, a one cohesive body of work. 
Yeah, you could look at it like that. I think that the project was a cohesive body of work and it was done with respect and it could have gone very pear-shaped, but I think people understood that it was grief, no matter what they also brought to it or the reasons that they had for participating. And generally, when someone's grieving, we treat them with respect and I feel like that's how they understood and moved with the project. But in terms of the how, so once I stopped panicking for the first two days, <laughs> no, I, I kept panicking on and off for about two weeks. Uh, <laughs> look, I did get some practical help from other organisations because I've really felt out of my depth and they were very accommodating and informative for me, which was just enormously helpful. I created a mailing list. I created a whole new email because my own email was just getting flooded. And then I, I sat down and I wrote the first newsletter very, very carefully because that was me setting the tone. What am I asking you to do? What size? Who are you sending it to? Blah, blah, blah. But I tried to handle and word and articulate myself in such a way that said, this is what this project is to me. How you interpret it is up to you, but do no harm. Yeah, Use your voice. This is your opportunity to do so. You're an artist. This is what you do. But do no harm. And that's what people did. Yeah, I sent this initial newsletter out and I did try to always feature a new artwork at the top of each email whether they were professional or an amateur or just an artwork that had just caught my eye and I tried to do the same thing when the media started coming in each media I tried to give them a different range of images so that it was this is everyone you know I have there are now as of today there's well over 1500 artworks and this is a plethora of voices and it is my duty if I have any power in this it is my duty to highlight the voices of so many that I possibly can and for the artists involved it meant a lot to them to be able to raise their voice here's Margaret Ingalls again I have been an advocate for wildlife and animals for a really long time and I've always felt compelled to stand up where and when I can for the voiceless, which includes all animals, whether wildlife, factory farm animals, animals used for gambling, the whole range. Because if we don't, let's face it, who will? And the greedy will most certainly inherit the earth. We've got a very broken system on so many levels. And when I saw the genius that was Charlotte's Finch project, it was a no-brainer to get involved. I cared, I was an artist, I'd been an opponent of the Adani coal mine, but what especially attracted me to the project was its elegance, I, I guess, and maybe that's the wrong word, but by that I mean it was, it was beautiful, it was simple, it was honest, it was so engagingly innocent, and it was quiet. You know, there's so much noise out there, so many angry voices, so much conflict and divisiveness, but the black-throated Finch campaign, it was like, it was more, it was more like a whisper of conscience. You know, I'm sure everyone's experienced those times when we go to do or say something and a little voice inside says, don't do that, or don't say that. And I know I've experienced that a lot in my life. And while we might 
push it to the side, that, that whisper, that little voice, it is so unnerving and unsettling. And that's what I hoped, that these artworks of Finch's would, would prick the conscience of whoever received them. And I think they did pierce through the noise and for a time drew attention to the Finch. You know, the media loved the story and it was circulated far and wide. And I only just found out this morning it won Australian Bird of the Year for 2019, which I guess is because it's essentially become the symbol for so many big issues at the moment, you know, deforestation, the climate crisis and opposition to the mine itself. Speaking of the Bird of the Year, let's check in with The Guardian's Full Story podcast, where host Laura Murphy-Oates is talking to BirdLife Australia's Sean Dooley about how the black finch came to be our National Bird of the Year. So right now, the black-throated finch is the winner by far in Bird of the Year. I think it's got double the votes of the closest bird. But there are actually a lot of concerns about its future and that it could become extinct within our lifetime. Is that right? Really, there's only two populations we know of left in Queensland. And one is maybe a couple of hundred birds out the back of Townsville. But the larger population of finches was only discovered a few years ago. And it just so happens to be slap bang in the middle of the Adani proposed coal mine at Carmichael. You have more than half the world's known population of of the southern black-throated finch is right in that spot and they've disappeared from everywhere else. And we are going to take, as a country, an action to essentially consign this bird to virtual extinction. Unfortunately, the state of the world we're in is that these threatened species, which are quite obscure species normally that, you know, often people wouldn't even know existed, we do know they exist because enough people are actually saying, hey, this is an essential part of our of what it is to be Australian. If we just have this untrammeled, exploit resources at all costs, we're going to lose these, these magic creatures, these beautiful expressions of what Australia is. And people are recognising that. And if this is part of a concerted campaign, well, they're still getting the people signing up to that campaign. To anyone that's sort of disgruntled by that, I'd say, well, rally your own troops and go out and vote for your own bird. <laughs> yes, vote number one, Team Emu. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I thought so. That says a lot about you, Laura. <laughs> My name's Chris Turnbull. I'm, I'm here today to uh, give some views and information as a person who ran a campaign for the black-throated finch this year in uh, Guardian Australia's Bird of the Year contest. So for those of you wanting to know a little bit about how the black-throated finch came to be in the Bird of the Year contest, uh, it's actually a pretty brief story. This year, 2019, was only the second year the contest ran. Uh, It started in 2017. There were 50 birds on the ballot. As a keen bird lover, I definitely went to put my vote in. There was an option to write in a bird. Given that as an environmentalist, I knew Adani was an issue, had been running for a while, I was aware of the uh, black-throated finch as a species that was threatened by their Carmichael mine proposal. So I took the option and wrote in the bird, put black-throated finch in, and just asked a few direct friends if they'd do the same, and, hey, please spread the word, guys. 
it wasn't anything really huge, but in the end, of 5,000 write-ins across the country, over 300 of those, by my reckoning, were for the black-throated finch. This year, in sort of mid-September, I contacted the Guardian Australia reps uh, and had a case done up to say, hey, look, this is the way this aligns to Guardian Australia fantastic conservation work. It would be really great to add this black-throated finch in. Um, happens to be a really handsome little bird too. So happily, they actually said to me, based on the strength of the write-ins from the previous competition in 2017, they were intending to put it onto the ballot. And I thought, well, that's basically the battle 90% won. All we need to do now is go to people and say, hey, this is what's happening to this bird. It's an environmental concern. Let's back it. Let's get behind it. Um, not really twisting anyone's views, changing anything, just waking people up to say, hey, there's, there's this option. Quite common birds in relatively good health. We see them everywhere, so we identify with them. For me, I might not have ever seen the black-throated finch up live. I actually have once before at the uh, RNA showgrounds. I was in a little cage, poor little bird, managed to show my son that this is the bird that today is threatening. We may only have it in cages in years to come if it goes ahead. Essentially, it, it got put on to the a ballot. From then, it was, let's start a campaign. To my mind, I didn't know anyone else had an active campaign. So it was a great way to start an advantage. And whilst there's been varying discussions from, say, non-environmentalists, I'll call them, in the public, it was a genuine grassroots campaign, not to change people's ideas, but to, to remind them and to go, hey, get behind this bird. It's a symbol. It's another tool for what we, we could use in a, in a fight to make a more sustainable world. You know, I think we have a, an epidemic of disconnection. Disconnection from ourselves, and, and I guess by that I mean we're carrying around so many stories that don't even serve us anymore. And those stories come from, from community, from all these things. We need to remind ourselves that we are, we are a part of it and not separate to it. We need to recognise the connection, cotton growing and dead fish or climate change and dead koalas and, and the politicians who enable these continuing disasters. I've always been a bird lover. The black-throated finch I was completely ignorant of until it came up in relation to a Danny's Carmichael mine proposal. I'd already seen that federal approval was originally overturned for two other animals, the yakka skink and the ornamental snake. Danny managed to uh, fight past the skink and the snake. So the black-throated finch appeared, I think, in 2017. But I distinctly remember that when the, the first bird of the year contest came up, I went to cast my vote. And the one thing I had in mind was this black-throated finch. It, it, it needs a voice and I'm, I'm going to give it to the, to the bird, <laughs> give the bird to Adani, so to speak. What I love about the visual arts is their capacity to bypass language and connect straight to the heart of things. And that's why I think the arts, and, and I'm not just talking visual arts, but music and performance and what have you, have, they've got such an important role to play in helping to reimagine new narratives for humankind and the planet on which we depend for our very survival. It's not only a bird that's threatened by climate change. We've got droughts, bushfires, 
change in weather patterns coming, but it's it's a leading organism in, in destruction around the world that's done intently by us, the human race. It's deliberately being devalued down to nothing. To say the last 800 wild individuals, they can just be terminated so that we can build yet another mega thermal coal mine. If it was a housing development, well, that would be the end of this bird, as well as removing this bird from existence. The follow-on, the intent is to build this mine, which the output from that, the, the mega carbon dioxide emissions, are going to have profound effects on all other life on Earth, essentially. So, so there's this massive importance to this bird as something to rally behind. The most interesting byproduct of engaging in positive action in, in whatever form that takes, and in my case, painting my little finch, is the alleviation or, or lessening rather of anxiety and emotional disturbance that living in a world with so many big and complex problems and problems we don't feel are being heard at the highest levels can make us feel. I get a strong sense that so much of why people are really struggling with these issues, namely the climate crisis, is because we feel we're floating in such a dogged sea of indifference and misinformation and irresponsible leadership. But when we take things into our own hands, find like-minded people and communities like 2040's Regeneration Movement, we make lifestyle changes, we think carefully about who we vote for, we sign petitions, we give donations, use social media in a positive way and so forth. We feel like we're contributing and making some sort of difference. I find action a wonderful antidote to depression and feeling powerless. I see it in cartoon form and I recognise it immediately. I think it's, it's the black-throated finch is very well recognised across the environmental movement. I really hope that after the Bird of the Year contest that the general public will recognise the black-throated finch. There was such a surge of activity around the black-throated finch campaign. It was such a collective outpouring of grief for this little creature. It was powerful. We'll just keep saying that name. We need to come up with our, I guess, marketing campaigns to, to get the emotions of voters. We, we need to win hearts. I think to ultimately succeed in stopping coal mining in the Galilee Basin, a multi-pronged approach is needed. This is clearly building, as we watch news and social media, more groups are rising up every week and actions are escalating. I can speak for the bird of the year, highlighting that it was an opportunity identified. The platform was there begging to be noticed and used. Now, it will go away sometime, but... It served to get the national attention at a time when very relevant discussion was happening on the suffering from bushfires. That will become a regular feature with climate change. In May this year, my husband and I were travelling around Iceland. We were in a, a trucker's cafe when we found out the news that the Conservative Party had won the election and we, we were shocked and so shaken by what it meant for the environment that we went, both went into a, a slump. Susan Lee the coalition's latest environment minister has promised in her words to slash green tape in an upcoming review of the act in order that we spend less time in courts and make more quick decisions as, as though that's a good thing.
so just try pitching a review of the EPBC Act at Joe or Jane Average in the street and see if that gets as far as a defence for a helpless tiny ball of feathers being attacked by a greedy billionaire. And then I did have a number of requests to exhibit the artworks that I had received. So I put up one night at the gallery that I work for, for people to come in and have a look. And it was pretty magic, but it was pretty harrowing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I assume there was a huge range of responses to the art at that gallery, but is there any particular reactions you remember quite vividly? Yeah, I had um, one participating artist who had her work on the wall, I've never met this person before, look at me with tears in her eyes and thank me for what I had done, and I'll never ever forget that. Mm. There were children who were coming in and drawing work and putting it on the wall at the time, and that was what it was for, was a chance for people to add their work, which is adding their voice, into the project. And um, I hadn't actually opened the artwork before any of this, so as I was installing the work with myself and a couple of people who helped me, we were all just... It was There was a lot of tears. Yeah, it, was, it was quite emotionally exhausting. And if anything, that is one aspect of this project that I... Because I did it so spontaneously, I, I didn't factor in the emotional cost, which became, for me, a physical cost of receiving so much grief. And I got very sick, yeah, during the project, yeah. By being kind of the platform, like the facilitator of this, people were able to realize and and create uh, a vessel for their grief, and they got to send it away. Yeah. A lot of that got sent to To you. To (laughs) me. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, when people are are grateful and and humble, it's it's um, that's a real place that's coming from. Thank you yeah. did take on a lot of that. You know, we uh, nowadays we use the term platform to mean our tech, and it's kind of lost all its kind of original meaning. But a platform is something with a lot of weight on it. How many other people were involved in in the process of creating that platform that weren't the ones contributing the art to it? Uh, no one. It was me. That was the answer I was expecting and <laughs> dreading. <laughs> and um, some emotional support from my cats and my partner and my friends. <laughs> it, it did get to the point where I would um, pick and choose the times that I opened the email very carefully because I couldn't open myself to that so frequently. It was, it was, it's tough work. And I, I never want to say that in a way where people would, feel bad for telling me their stories or, or why they made the work or what it meant for them because that's not I'm completely honored mm-hmm. to have received that but it was um it was just on mass you know mm-hmm. yeah and, and coupled with my own but just like a construction worker you put on your protective gear before you go on site if you're a surgeon you do your prep and scrub before you go into surgery you have to be ready for that context yeah and... it got to the point right yeah I did have to really um manage how I process that kind of information, I guess. Every 
originally I asked the question to go to artists but then there were children and actually probably for me most fascinating were the scientists that got involved. Which, Tell us more about them. Oh man, they have the most harrowing stories. I often had conversations with the scientists over email because I wanted to know why they had participated. I think it's telling that they felt like drawing something was more effective than their entire body of research to a politician. Yeah. (laughs) They felt like that was a last resort, maybe. Mm -hmm. It was worth trying. It was worth trying. Mm. Oh, fuck. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's heavy. It's really heavy. I'm sorry. You're partaking in it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's not easy. Um, But, you know, there is a need and I opened that and I'm not going to pretend it's my burden to carry or anything like that. But it's like, how do we process this grief collectively? And I don't have the answer for that but it's obviously something that we need Mm. and we're going to need it more and more if we're going to keep going down the path we're going. Yeah. Yeah. What's kind of the the power of artwork as realised in your life? Many artworks have changed how I see the world and I'm a huge fan of writers I probably turn to writers more than I turn to artists, visual artists. Um, I don't know why that is, but it is just just the way I tick. Anyway, um, yeah, there's a few writers that have really pushed my thinking and one of them for me most recently, who was also my saving grace during this whole thing, I just happened to be reading Terry Tempest Williams. She's an American uh, naturalist, environmentalist, just an incredibly poetic writer and I was reading a book of hers called When Women Were Birds, in it she explains a moment where she and another writer made a collection of essays to try and save the Utah wilderness because it was going to be up for consideration for uh, oil and gas. This was during Bill Clinton's time as president. They made the collection of essays from big names in American writing and it got handed to everyone in Congress and it helped to stop the decision making and they retained the natural area. I knew that I couldn't do that with the Black Finch Project but I was encouraged to know that art had that kind of capacity if I wanted to and more than that she gave me the courage to keep going that beauty was worth something and the natural world was worth something. And she does a very good job of justifying why the natural world matters even to people who don't actively participate in it. And I think sometimes that can be a very hard bridge in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. During the Black Finch Project, you encouraged donations to the Wangan and... Shagalingu People Family Council. Why that group? They are the indigenous people who are situated on that particular piece of land. They have actively been campaigning against Adani since the outset. So this is a number of years now. And we must understand 
and many people do, I think, but I'll reinforce it anyway. We must understand that the black-throated finch is just one tiny aspect of the entire culture and worldview and meaning for this particular group of people. And if we diminish their way of understanding and being in the world, then we diminish ours. And I wanted to encourage people to advocate their voice as well. And if they were asking for donations, then that was the way that we should encourage that. I mean, of course, we can say all the standard things like this is the land of, and I think all of that is great. But if these people want agency and we have a means to lift that voice up, then I was going to do that. But at the same time, I thought very hard about this because a project like the Black Finch Project could very easily slip into territory of being morally righteous and advocating for more than one thing. I felt as though I needed to tell people about the W&J Family Council because that was the thing to do, but also to leave that agency in their hands and not to, to be too prescriptive about how they do it. This whole project is about our agency and voice. I am giving you this project you pick it up and you use a voice and in return you amplify the voice of someone else and you can amplify the voice of another artist or the voice of the traditional people of this place yeah so in terms of clarity of purpose and simplicity of meaning with the art of it being about one issue and not multiple not muddying the works not allowing it to spread and conflate across multiple areas We've got some specific pieces here on the table in front of us. And I'm struck by the power of what you just said, because I can look at this handmade, plushy version of a black-throated finch. And yes, there is an element to traditional land rights, traditional owners, water scarcity, the reef, X number of things, but primarily what that right there is, is a totem of... The extinction of one species. Yes. If we're talking about the plight of the finch, we are talking about the plight of the land. We're talking about the plight of the indigenous people. We are talking about the plight of ourselves because we've gotten ourselves into this kind of position and what sort of moral thinking has got us into this place. You know, all of those flow on, but it's the finch that's the crux of the issue. It was a bird that inspired over 1,600 pieces of artwork and counting to be created and sent to politicians and business leaders. A bird that inspired this action. Not the coal mine. Not the land rights of traditional owners. The concerns of farmers over water. Of lovers of the Great Barrier Reef. A finch. And that finch is now a lot more visible. And what does Chris Turnbull campaigner for the black-throated finch and the guardian in BirdLife Australia's Bird of the Year contest, think the impact of the arts and the legacy of projects like 1,000 Finches will be? They helped me to understand the risks to life on Earth when we talk about topics like uh, fossil fuel expansion, climate change impacts. But the cold numbers usually need to be dressed up 
so that we can get that emotional link. That's where artists come in. Being involved in political campaigning for some time now, I've, I've marvelled at what artists bring to a conversation. I've gotten to know candidates from uh, backgrounds as artists, as musicians, rather than as lawyers or, or engineers, scientists, etc. The expertise these people have is in using their empathy to realise issues themselves and then to communicate those important ethical issues to us successfully using whatever artistic format. And the title of Bird of the Year on the Finch has 12 months worth of mileage. When we can use the term, would Adani kill the Bird of the Year? Credit there to Ben Pennings for coining that one. And whilst there are ongoing large creative projects like the 1000 Finches project, I think uh, a range of t-shirts, badges, and stickers for the bird of the year would be very, very handy as a kind of ubiquitous, low-level promotion for the black-throated finch. Which of these was one of the primary kind of drivers behind this project? Was it, was it mourning or was it wanting to change the situation? It was mourning. Yeah. I knew that I couldn't change it and I didn't try to go in changing anything. Well, that wasn't my intention. I'm a small cog in this big thing and reading that article about the finch was like no this is this is a done deal like this is this government machine is moving in a direction that's much bigger and faster than i can possibly do and i know that a drawing of a finch on a piece of paper is not going to change policy i'm not foolish enough to think that but i know that it might change no i don't know that it'll change I, what i know is that it might affect the person who opens it, and that person who opens it might be an aspiring politician or be in the ear of someone else. I don't know. Maybe they go home and they think about the chicken that's on their plate. And I'm not, no, don't put that in because I'm not a vegetarian. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It just it, it prompts a question. I hope that art has the power to facilitate that kind of conversation. And I think it does, ultimately. I don't think it's an end into itself. I think we need the get-ups along with the Blackfish projects and we need the Australian Conservation Foundations alongside the, um, I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, we need all of those things, but people work in different ways and Mm -hmm. this was the only best way I possibly knew how. If it provokes a kind of consciousness, then I think it's been successful. Mm. But I think to expect anything more is possibly setting yourself up for disappointment. A consciousness and a sense of agency is positivity and action. And if that's the end result, then surely that in itself is some form of success. It doesn't come out with a tangible outcome. A lot of the media were asking me, you know, what are you expecting from the policy change? That, you know, it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not expecting any of that. Yeah, I'm holding up a mirror, is what I said. An artist in ancient Greece drawing a picture on an amphora of wine of Jason and the Argonauts didn't expect to get a different senator elected at the next election. I assume it's just a, in addition to the culture. And that's what artists do. Yeah. I think what the Blackfinch Project really embodied was 
some of the positive elements of our culture. Yes. And that's worth celebrating. Thank you. That care for others, care for place. It's interesting that something positive did come out of a place of grief. I've come to believe a lot of activists are optimists because they believe change can happen. Mm. And they do extraordinary things, put themselves at extraordinary risk sometimes because they believe that it will matter. This project was a lot more grounded in a place of this bad thing is happening. We're sad. We're going to express that we're sad. That's just really beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Conversations were had between artists, between families, parents and children, teachers and school kids, um, scientists and artists, scientists and me, you know. And yeah, we might have already agreed on where our values were before those conversations happened, but I actually don't really care. Yeah, I I don't care. Mm. Mm. I don't care. It just did what it did and I never tried to control that. Thank you for listening to Artbreaker. We're the newest show from the Climactic Collective, a podcast network by and for the Australasian climate community. If you liked the program, please tell a friend and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or Apple Podcasts if so moved. Thanks to Charlotte Watson for her time and generosity. Since that tumultuous time in mid-2019, her life has somewhat returned to normal, and she's moving to a plant-based diet. Chris Turnbull is still campaigning against Adani and raising his son. If you wanted advice on how to run a Bird of the Year campaign, he'd be a good man to ask. Margaret Ingalls is still prolifically working on the intersection of the climate crisis and our understanding, and her work has moved her host to tears on multiple occasions. You can find links to all our guests and supplemental materials in our show notes. Our thanks to Miles Martignoni and Laura Murphy-Oates from The Guardian and Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia for the use of a section of the Full Story podcast from The Guardian Australia. Thank you for listening. And if you know of an artist or a project in any artistic medium engaging with the climate crisis, that's a good story waiting to be told, please get in touch at hello at climactic.fm. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.
www.studio.com.